All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. Hey, guys, on the line, I've got Trita Parsi from the Quincy Institute, and they let him write one in the New York Times. How do you like that? The U.S. is not an <laughs> indispensable peacemaker. Ah, oh, sad. Welcome back to the show, Trita. How are you? Good, good. Good to be back. Uh, very happy to have you here. And uh, the occasion, of course, is... The peace deal. Did you ever think that you and me were going to have this conversation anytime in a reasonable <laughs> term, you know, medium future kind of thing here? The new peace deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran, brokered by China over America's helmet and uh, very much against their wishes. So tell me, what's it all mean? Uh, it's it's. A significant development because at the end of the day, certainly Iran-Saudi relations have gone up and down. So a normalization deal there is not in and of itself necessarily uh, a shocker. But the fact that it was mediated by the Chinese is a significant change because the Chinese have traditionally tried to stay out of all of these things. They're not just all staying out of the, the war business. They're staying out of the peace business as well. Because once you start mediating in these things, you kind of get entangled in a way that could be problematic, and they wanted to avoid that. But now they've decided to really raise their profile as a stabilizer in the world. That's how they want to be perceived. That's how they're branding themselves. Mm -hmm. And they were successful. And I know that in Washington, there has been a bit of an effort to try to downplay the Chinese role and say, well, look, you know, the these two countries were on the cusp of doing it anyways. The Chinese kind of came in the last minute and just put their signature on it. I don't think that's true. The, the, it's absolutely true that the Iraqis and the Omanis did uh, a lot of the groundwork of uh, bringing Iran and Saudi Arabia closer together, but they couldn't move it beyond the goal line. You had the Chinese coming in and, and doing that, getting this over the goal line. And they did so to a large extent because they ended up becoming the guarantors of the agreement. They're actually a signatory to the agreement, meaning that both the Chinese, the, the Saudis and the Iranians feel more comfortable that the other side is not going to cheat because if they cheat, they will tick off the Chinese. And that seems to have been a key reason as to why they finally managed to make this deal, despite the fact that others had tried, others had been you know, very helpful in moving it along, but not managing to get it across the goal line. Huh. Uh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. So, and then, but what does that mean? They promise to enforce it by what mechanism? Well, they, they, they're promising to make sure that they stop interfering in each other's internal affairs. In the Iranian case, that means that they're going to see some of the support that they're providing to the Houthis. Uh, and the Saudis are going to try to truly end that war now that they themselves started and been an absolute disaster. Uh, the Saudis are going to stop uh, uh, some of the programming of Iran International, which has become a very widely seen uh, satellite TV station in Iran, which um, truly, in my view, has uh, it is not a news channel. It's much more of a propaganda channel and has been 
trying to fuel uh, uh, tensions inside the country. And I know some people appreciate what they're doing because of the recent protests, but if you scratch the surface, you will see that the agenda seems to be a much, much more uh, malign one because they've really been trying to promote separatism, promote uh, ethnic uh, um, uh, strife inside the country, thing that actually would not bring about regime change, certainly not bring about democratization, but would bring about chaos uh, and, and the disintegration of the country as a whole. If either one of these don't live up to that agreement, then they will be seen as being at fault for the tensions that exist between the two of them in the eyes of the Chinese. And neither one of them can afford that because of the importance that China plays in both of their economies. Mm-hmm. Hey, by the way, uh, when you say things like that, people on Twitter say things like Trita Parsi is loyal to the Ayatollah and on his payroll. And I know that's stupid, but I'd like to give you a chance to answer that because people do say it about you all the time. And you you know, should probably have your point of view out there, you know, your response to it, at least occasionally, you know. Uh, Not necessarily to dignify uh, it, but you know what I mean? I don't know. It's important. It's it's ridiculous. Um, It's it's unfortunately typical of the state of the debate right now. People cannot actually debate the arguments. They come with all kinds of crazy uh, accusations. It was funny when I wrote the piece in New York Times about how the U.S. has uh, lost uh, the ability or the willingness to play uh, an impartial broker role. Um, the very same person who oftentimes fuels those false accusations against me from uh, Foundation for Defense of Democracies tweeted that now Trita is working for the Chinese CP, CCP as well. Uh, and it's like, you know, it would be nice if you at one point just tried to see if you can engage in a real conversation about these issues instead of immediately going to ad hominem attacks and lies and defamation. It just shows them the weakness of the other side. Uh, in my view, if there's anyone who's actually helped the Ayatollahs in Washington, D.C., it's the very same people who are making these accusations because they oftentimes tend to be the very same neocons who invaded Iraq and invaded Afghanistan and actually significantly helped strengthen the reign of the Ayatollahs in Iran. Iran rose to a very large extent because of these massive American mistakes. I was dead set against those things, and these people were in favor of it. So who's actually helping the Ayatollahs? Got that right. <laughs> um, that's for sure. And listen, I think it's great, in fact, that he would go, oh, yeah, now you're working for Beijing, because it just goes to show how hollow the previous argument was. You know, they say this kind of thing about you so much that it sounds like, geez, I don't know, maybe there is some kind of history there or something. Maybe there is some substance to it. But then when they turn around and go, oh, you said a thing that I don't like on another subject, so now you're a foreign agent of that capital, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just completely yeah stupid get the hell out of here so i'm sorry for wasting your time with that but then again people say it about you often enough that i thought that you know what from time to well, time it's, you should it's, probably a, say it's an organized yeah. campaign it's not an organic thing it's yeah. an organized campaign to try look- to de-platform voices that are um against war against sanctioning populations to death against you know spreading american military dominance and you know uh, first option should always to see where can we bomb uh, those voices are faced with these types of attacks, unfortunately, not the only ones, but it's systemic, it's organized, it's not organic. Because if it was organic, we would not see public opinion polls in the United States over and over and over again show that the American public is in, uh, very much uh, leaning towards less military interventions, more diplomacy, uh, more of a peaceful engagement in the world rather than leading with the military. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now uh, let's talk more about this agreement. You brought up Yemen there. And is Yemen specifically mentioned in the agreement? Or we could just see that the Saudis are getting even more serious now about finally putting an end to this thing. So, no, I, I do think the Saudis for um, a period of time now have tried to get out of the war, but they want to get out of the war um, essentially as some form of a, not a winner, but at least they want to save some face, which is very difficult to do, mindful of how disastrous their war has been, not only for themselves, of course, but also overwhelmingly for the Yemeni population. So I think to, to one way of understanding is that is that the Iranians show that they could really hurt the Saudis through the war in Yemen and the support they have provided to the Houthis. But then the Saudis really also show that they can really hurt the Iranians in the manner in which uh, Iran International can um, uh, you know, fuel ethnic strife and separatism inside the country. So they, they both kind of realize that, look, this is a lose-lose proposition. We need to get out of this. Uh, MBS seems to want to focus on his 2030 plan and, and, and compete with UAE as being a, an economic uh, and innovation hub in the region. He can't do that if he's going to have this conflict with Iran, which also incidentally makes uh, Abram Accord not particularly attractive to him, because it's very clear now the Abram Accord truly at the core of it was to create an anti-Iran coalition. Why would the Saudis and the Emiratis enter into that type of an anti-Iran coalition when they are geographically closer to Iran, meaning that they would be on the front line of such an anti-Iran coalition, even though they actually have an easier time resolving their tensions with Iran than Israel does. This is really beneficial to the Israelis, but rather strategically foolish for uh, the Saudis and the Emiratis to do, particularly if the Saudis and the Emiratis are under the impression conviction that the U.S. nevertheless is withdrawing from the region. It is less and less interested in the region. It is not going to fight for the region. It would be such a foolish measurement measured by them because they would essentially just put themselves on the front line of a new anti-Iran coalition in which they actually have the least amount of reasons to even be part of such a coalition. It's a different thing if you're sitting in Israel in which truly the prospects of finding some sort of accommodation with Iran is much, much more difficult. I think the Saudis uh, have wanted to get out of this. Uh, it's about finding a way of doing so without losing face and finding some sort of a mechanisms that make sure that you feel comfortable that you're not going to get screwed over. And that's where the Chinese, I think, played a very important role, a role that we could not have played when we frankly had not even desired to play. Yeah. Now, I thought of this, though. You know, one of the reasons that we can't have a war with Iran all this time is because all of those economic targets in Saudi Arabia, not just our bases in Qatar and Bahrain and in Kuwait, and especially, you know, in Iraq still used to be, you know, many thousands of troops in Iraq and Afghanistan, all, all this kind of hostage. You know, they say, oh, why'd Iran put their country so close to all our military bases? Well, it's <laughs> actually, all those tripwires actually seem to kind of prevent war in a way. But so I got the idea that possibly this peace deal makes it easier for Israel to start a war because now they can be sure the Americans can be, you know, more satisfied that Iran isn't going to retaliate against Saudi Arabia because they really don't have a dog in the fight when that would have been one of the real concerns before. So oh, is I, that stupid? I think you're absolutely right. I think this is a measure in which... The Saudis feel like, okay, they are now 
pushing themselves out of the line of fire if there is a conflict. And I think the Saudis have lost confidence in the American strategy of managing this conflict. On the one hand, we're not going for the JCPOA. We say it's not a priority. On the other hand, we see all of these military exercises with the Israelis. We see that the Israeli, the U.S. ambassador to Israel is saying that we're going to back Israel if it does something militarily. Uh, and the Saudis feel like, well, hold on, they're going to be in the line of fire. They don't think the United States is going to be able to manage this. The Biden administration does not seem to have the guts to say the Israelis, no, don't start a war. It's not going to be helpful to you, to us or to anyone. Uh, so it, it makes some sense for them to be like, OK, this is too volatile. We don't feel confident uh, in the management of this and the way that the Biden administration is handling it. So they're pulling themselves out. Uh, but from the U.S. perspective, particularly since in the last year or so, I don't think there's been much of a desire on the U.S. side to see a U.S. Uh, Iran Saudi uh, normalization because we are going in the direction of a new variation of Trump's maximum pressure strategy. And now the Saudis are saying they're not going to be part of that. In fact, they're even hinting that they're going to be investing in Iran, meaning that they're going to be ignoring U.S. sanctions. Yeah. Hey guys, Scott here for Leo Hamill Fine Jewelers out of San Diego at JewelryStoreSD.com. They do business nationwide. They sell jewelry and watches, specializing in engagement rings. You know, in case you're in love with somebody. They also specialize in one-of-a-kind vintage and antique jewelry, fully serviced pre-owned fine watches, such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Cartier, and any high-end brand. Leo's also services high-end watches faster and cheaper than going to a factory service center. Leo's takes all the stress out of shopping for jewelry and engagement rings, and always at the right price. They deal nationwide over the phone at 619-299-1500. That's Leo Hamill Fine Jewelers out of San Diego. Go to JewelryStoreSD.com to check out their fine selection and to find out more. Hey y'all, you should sign up for my Substack. It's scotthortonshow.substack.com. And if you do that, you'll get the interviews a day before everybody else. But not only that, they'll be free of commercials. How do you like that? Pretty good, huh? scotthortonshow.substack.com. Hey, y'all, libertasbella.com is where you get Scott Horton Show and Libertarian Institute shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and stickers and things, including the great Top Lobsters designs as well. See, that way it says on your shirt why you're so smart. Libertas Bella, from the same great folks who bring you ammo.com for all your ammunition needs, too. That's libertasbella.com. And by the way, I'm sorry I spaced out and I didn't get a chance to say earlier that every time these people accuse you of this, I scratch them and it turns out that they support the return of the Pahlavi family to power <laughs> over there. Or they support the Mujahideen cult, communist terrorist cult that still worships the guy that died 25 years ago and his idiot <laughs> wife. With their, you know, matching Nikes and purple scarves. So, <laughs> so yeah, these are the people calling you a traitor. So, man, I'm sorry I didn't say that. Maybe I'll cut and paste that earlier in the conversation. Nah. But, Trita, uh, here's the other thing. We're talking about the Middle East. And, yeah, Israel, Israel, Israel. But also oil, oil, oil. And there was a point during Donald Trump when he said, listen, man, why are we spending all this money to secure these oil resources when China's the one buying all the oil from the Middle East, we export oil. 
And we got, you know, there's Venezuela and the North Sea and all of these things. We don't even need the Middle East. We import, I don't know what the recent number is. The last one I heard was 7%, but that was a long time ago. But there's a very small amount of our energy resources come from Saudi and, and that whole region. And now I do know that we get to lord it over our allies, quote unquote, our vassal states in Japan and Korea. But it seems like, you know, as Dick Cheney would have said, this is an important choke point. He said that on uh, September 11th, 1990, we have to go to war over there because this is an important choke point and they want to be able to cut off China in the event of, see, this whole Middle East war is part of the Cold War against Russia and China, always was. Um, but anyway. Well, it certainly is. It's, I think the perspective now is that as part of a competition with China, it will play out in the Middle East. Uh, and as a result, you know, it will bring it back into focus in a way that perhaps the administration at first did not want to. Uh, I'm not one of those who think that, you know, a Cold War with China is inevitable or even desirable. But I think it is worth noting that we are subsidizing Chinese oil imports from the Middle East because of all the troops that were stationing there um, and, uh, you know, uh, securing the, um, uh, the oil lines and all of this stuff, um, uh, the ship lines. And, you know, they're significantly benefiting from it. So I do think one of the things we clearly have seen over and over again, more and more evidence for, which is that contrary to what we have been told, which is that if we're not dominating militarily, if we're not securing these regions by having our military hegemony there, these regions will descend into chaos. Well, in reality, once we started to pull back, guess what happened? Other states started to pull forward. and take responsibility for security and engaging in diplomacy. And who had expected the Chinese to suddenly step up and play a diplomatic game? Well, now they are. And you know what? The outcome is actually good for us because it's good for us that the Iranians and the Saudis are not destabilizing the region by fighting each other. It's good for us as well. Now, if they want to pay the cost for that and shoulder the weight of that, all the better for us. We don't have to be everywhere all the time, particularly when it's proven quite unfortunately, that we're not that good at it. Because instead of coming in as neutral players and trying to actually mediate a peace, we immediately take sides. Mm -hmm. We immediately try to uh, uh, make sure that the outcome is beneficial to us, meaning the outcome of a conflict rather than trying to see the benefit of actually stabilizing the region. Mm -hmm. So if the Chinese are doing that part better than us, I don't think we should be worried about it. What I wrote in the New York Times is that what we should worry about is that if uh, all who, our paths to war ends up going through Washington, meaning that if you want to go to war, Washington is the place that you go to to seek support. Uh, and we end up becoming that power, the power that is constantly exporting military uh, 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 conflicts rather than the power that can actually play a, a stabilizing role in bringing about peace. Mm. And, you know, there's just such a lack of self-awareness. It's just incredible to hear these people talk you know, Antony Blinken gave a 10-minute statement about, man, if Russia and China broker a ceasefire in Ukraine, damn it, we will not stand for that. And, huh? Really? The whole world's watching you, man. And that's <laughs> the side of, we're definitely right, and we do not need to stop and think about this a second time at all? They're going to complain when the Chinese come in and broker a deal. I mean, I was just talking with Ted Snyder about this, and you and I have talked about this for a long time. I've always been the worst pessimist, thinking that, you know, essentially the very Cold War between Riyadh and Tehran 
was going to last forever. And, you know, for the rest of our lifetimes that we'd see essentially Iraq as the battlefield between mm-hmm. these two giant powers fighting because George Bush gave the Shiites Baghdad. So Saudi's going to fling suicide bombers at it forever and ever. And then now it seems like maybe not. Maybe they figured not, out. Yeah. Just like they figured yeah, out. I, you I know, think the we should be careful at the same time in the sense that, you know, the rivalry between Saudi Arabia and Iran, I don't think has come to an end. And certainly the enmity... Uh, is still there. But what we have, thanks to this agreement, is a way to manage it. And if they manage it well, perhaps it will even bring about a thaw, a warm up in relations and something even more positive. Um, so, you know, we should be careful. This is not, you know, uh, this is not a, a peace agreement in that sense. But the management of that conflict is extremely important. In that sense, it is a very, very important and valuable step in the right direction. And it also shows that, you know, um, when we least expect it, there can be some flexibility. And the one point, again, I'm repeating myself, the one little nugget that we have kind of uh, lifted up to some sort of article of faith, which is that if we're not there dominating, everything will turn into chaos. Mm. It's just simply not true. It could end up being a chaotic situation, but it could also be that other states take the responsibility of stepping forward and, and, and showing their ability to be able to stabilize the reason. We are not uniquely the only ones that can do so. In fact, we're not that great at it as of late. Yeah, seriously. I mean, even the dual containment policy of Bill Clinton that was supposedly, you know, holding down both Iraq and Iran from Saudi, that's what got our towers knocked down and kicked off the last generation Mm -hmm. of total chaos. Now there's been like 2 million people killed. And as I was mentioning there, the massive shift in power in the capital city in Iraq, which led to all these other consequences in Syria and in Yemen and leading up to this point. So, yeah, to say we're not that good at it, boy, oh boy, are you being polite, you know, and, and the Americans see the Joe Biden government and the, all the Republicans and the Democrats and the Congress and on TV, they all agree that, yeah, 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 that was a long time ago. And who even understood what was going on? It was America versus the bad guys. And then we lost or something. I don't know. But they never said who was Sunni and Shia and who's mm-hmm, taken mm-hmm. over cleansing which neighborhood or why it mattered or any of those things. And so, um, you know, they don't have to refer back to it, but they want to project that their own blissful ignorance onto the rest of the world. Like you guys have all forgotten that too, right? Of course, everyone accepts America as Superman come to help them through our benevolence and selflessness. When the other people in the world, they're looking around going, are you kidding me? Like you're the guys who did all these things. I won't do the list because everybody knows. Yeah. And you know, what's really fascinating, the news that broke yesterday that apparently Forget about the Chinese doing this thing between the Saudis and the Iranians. But now, apparently, Russia is on the cusp of mediating a a successful normalization between Saudi Arabia and Syria. Oh, really? I didn't hear that. Where do I read that right now? In the Wall Street Journal. And the Russians are doing this in the midst of their own war in Ukraine. I mean, it's it's. Quite stunning. And by the way, that means successful yet. Yeah, the background there, everybody, is the Saudi backed a bunch of suicide bombers against Syria for years with the help of Barack Obama and Benjamin Netanyahu and Recep Erdogan and other friends. So that's a hell of a climb down. (laughs) And and, and, uh, from the U.S. perspective, uh, the the position has been that we don't want to see normalization with. With Assad, and I don't, you know, I don't think there's any doubts of all the crimes that Assad has committed, but he's still there, 
And um, the rest of the world does not appear to be waiting for some sort of a moralizing uh, position of who's right and whose side history was on, etc. Life goes on for better or for worse. Yeah. And, and pragmatic people have to adjust to that. And that's what we're seeing happening. I, again, I think uh, there can be a very compelling moral case made against uh, uh, Assad. There's no doubt about that. And what Russia is doing in Ukraine is, has no moral defense of that either. But nevertheless, if we want to pretend that we live in some sort of world in which, um, uh, you know, it's good versus evil, then we will always be at conflict. And the rest of the world likes to get a respite from conflict and even make peace with horrible people and horrible regimes, because at the end of the day, that's what's better for their people. Yeah. Oh, man, this must be on antiwar.com this morning, and I just didn't see it. Saudi Arabia, Syria, close to resuming ties and Russia brokered talks there in the journal. I mean, sorry about all those suicide bombers. We're cool, right? <laughs> hey, listen, as you said, hey, life goes on. What are you going to do? Keep fighting? And after all, the Saudis kind of called off their waves of suicide bombers quite a few years ago. They switched to Yemen instead. Um, but uh, so great. I mean, that's really great. And, and, you know, your overall point in the New York Times, and as you've been saying for so long and including on this show that, see, we don't have to do this. The world keeps turning. We don't have to have our hands in every little thing. And I guess, because you live in D.C., it really, it seems strange to me, but they really do believe that they have to do all this stuff and that they're in the right, no matter what, right? Yeah, and, and I, I personally don't believe that necessarily some of the deep, deep thinkers behind this think that this is actually about preventing chaos. I think it goes rather to the idea that we want to be in control. It's not that this Chinese deal is a bad one for us because the outcome, it's because we want to be in control of these things. We feel more comfortable and safe if we're controlling almost everything that happens far, far away from us. The issue is we never had that control in the first place. It was an illusion. And pursuing it was damaging our own interests. Giving up that illusion is a good thing. Adjusting to reality is a good thing. Absolutely. All right, you guys, that is Trita Parsi. And of course, he helps run the Quincy Institute. And somewhere in my tabs is this piece in the New York Times. The U.S. is not an indispensable peacemaker. Read it and weep, elites. Thanks, Trita. Thank you so much for having me. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. APSradio.com, antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.